This is the Pancast Radio podcast, an archive of the Pancast Radio show streamed live on Instagram over two days. This episode features one of my peers, Kelsey Brooks. She is a recent honors graduate of audio engineering at the University of Manchester, England, and has collaborated with me several times. Kelsey, welcome. Hey. Kelsey, welcome aboard. How are you? <laughs> I'm all right. How are you? I'm good. Sorry for the confusion. Yeah. Oh, it's all right. I think I was on the wrong thing as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, tell us about yourself. Um, you're for, I introduced you um, as an audio engineer from Manchester. Yeah. Um, I So, I'm primarily an audio engineer and a music producer, um, but I also do sound design um, and like generally just work in the music industry I've done loads of different roles um, especially in live sound um, so kind of just have like a good good background in the music industry I guess I kind of do a little bit of everything. Very cool what, what does live sound mean? Um, so with uh, the live sound industry that's kind of anything from um, theatre or like live concerts um, even to things like live broadcasting so like um, things like when you watch the like the news live or um, anything that's live broadcasted on TV kind of comes under that as well. Very cool. Um, so yeah I think I you were working at a venue right? Yeah um, so I work at a venue called Matt and Fred's which is like a jazz club in Manchester. And how was that experience? Um, it's an interesting one I think because it's quite a not like a small venue but it's not like um an arena or anything like that and I always think that the smaller venues are the ones where you kind of like get the most experience kind of thing like everything's a little bit like harebrained um and like really fast paced and I just love that like I think it's so cool to kind of like you're in the mix of everyone and you meet all these new musicians all the time and you get to hear all this amazing new music um Whereas when you're kind of like in a in a bigger venue or you're on tour, you work with the same people, which which has its own merit as well. Like it can be really cool to build that relationship. But because I have a different band every night, um, it's really cool to see that variation and have all that different music. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I I would imagine that it would be kind of exhausting because so does each band have its own different unique sound and different requirements? Yeah, so um, you can, especially when you're working with more than one band in a night, you have like a lot of different requests, even things like um, a lot of people don't realise that the band have to hear themselves as well. So we have uh, monitors, which basically are like speakers that are, are directed at the band. Um, and they all want different mixes. They want to hear different things. Even like different musicians will want different things within the band. And then they all have their own different sound. They want like different effects. Um, so moving between uh, bands very quickly, normally you only have maybe like 10 minutes to change over. Um, so to do it fast, it's definitely uh, a skill that you have to pick up quite quickly. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, do you, I mean, do you have a rehearsal to go through that before or is it 10 minutes and then? So it kind of depends actually. Um, so with bigger, um, venues you tend to have longer to rehearse um so uh you might load into a venue at like 10 o'clock in the morning and that might give you like an hour or two to sound check 
but with small venues you don't actually get that long um sometimes i'm lucky if i get half an hour to sound check a band um so it can really vary especially i've had different situations where like bands have been really late or like something's happened or um like you know there's always i think anyone who works in live sound knows that like it's really chaotic and things that you just don't ever foresee happening tend to like go wrong um and i've had situations where i've literally just put a band on stage and you've had to like mix as you go um so it can definitely be stressful but usually you would aim to like have a good sound check period hopefully <laughs> <laughs> absolutely so um working in this how do you find the bands to present as in how like, do they Sorry, go ahead. Um, as in, like, how do we get the bands that perform at the venue, or like, how do I find yeah, them? Who finds the bands? Um, so, at the venue I work at, we actually have like a music coordinator, and she basically, um, we have a mixture of like bands will get in touch with us and ask if they can play. Um, and also she kind of scouts out different bands as well. Like if she sees people who she think would fit really well at the club. Um, because the that venue in particular is a jazz club. So we tend to have a lot of like um, jazz and blues, maybe a little bit of funk, but kind of that genre. So we, we tend to keep the acts within that kind of general genre and style. Um, so we have a lot of the bands play um, you know, they might have, they might come three or four times a year and we kind of rotate three bands we already know and have a few new ones. Um, and yeah, like kind of a mixture of people getting in touch and reaching out to us and then us reaching out to other people as well. Um, but then other venues you can, um, especially with like slightly bigger venues, you can kind of just ask to play. Um, and with arenas and stuff like that, like when people are planning tours, they just reach out to the venue and say like, we'd love to play here. Um, kind of what's your price and, and what dates you have available. And that's kind of how they fit it in. Very cool. So why, why music? Um, I, when I, I've kind of always done music from being like really young. Um, and then when I was kind of choosing what I wanted to do, especially like going to university and stuff, I originally wanted to do a degree in physics, um, but I kind of had this realization that I didn't want to not do music. Um, but I also kind of had this dilemma of I wanted to do both. And like, we don't have like a dual honors system here or anything like that. So there wasn't a way that I could do a degree in physics and in music. So I spoke to like my tutors and stuff and I was like, I, I don't know what I want to do and I can't make the decision. And I know that doing a degree in music would be like, everyone was like, don't do music, don't do a degree in music, it will be terrible. <laughs> Which I don't think is true, but at the time definitely like got in my head a bit. And um, one of my tutors was like, well, why don't you, why don't you do audio engineering? Cause it's like a mix of, of like physics and maths and you also get to work in the music industry. And I remember the first time I heard that, I was like, no, no, I don't want to do that. That sounds like a rubbish job. I was like, I don't ever want to do that. That sounds awful. And I thought about it a bit more and I started doing some research and I went to the university I'm at now, well, just about to graduate from, um, 
and then I kind of like fell in love and then I realized it was actually something that I really wanted to do um so yeah I kind of came into it in a roundabout way and it was something that I never thought I'd do um I really was very set on like doing a physics degree and at one point I was even pretty seriously considering medicine as well so like I really didn't want to work in the music industry and then all of a sudden I kind of like changed my mind and was like actually no you're gonna do something that you're passionate about what's yeah that's great and I'm assuming that you're happy because you've yeah. done so much in the music I I especially on like social media and stuff but I always go on about how much I love my job and how lucky I am to do something that I not only love but also pays my bills which is like I feel like I'm very privileged to be able to do that um but yeah like I always tell everyone that I love my job so much and I really do like I think it people don't realize like how passionate I actually am about doing it I think it's so cool so what are challenges that you face that you've had to overcome or are still an ongoing issue within the music industry, um, maybe in the US or the UK or both or? Yeah, um, I think like one of the biggest challenges with the music industry at the moment is it's, it's really not that diverse, um, which actually shocks me because I think when you look at musicians and performers there's like a lot more diversity um now more than ever although we're still struggling um and because it it comes across as this really liberal industry you know like um it's not like a i guess like a a formal job like no one is going to work in a suit and tie like everybody's very relaxed like even things like everyone has tattoos and piercings and like brightly colored hair and that kind of thing and when you actually get into the industry it's very like white male dominated which surprised me when i first started and like it is getting better and i do think there's a lot more um dive again like now more than ever there's a lot more diversity but it's still very like there's just a very it's almost like a certain type of person who works in the music industry which is yeah like I don't know I not only did it shock me but it's also been something that I've struggled with because like as a female and particularly like as a young female I think sometimes you don't get taken seriously and I have other friends in the music industry who are women or who are people of color who are like you don't really have anyone to look up to or like you don't see anyone kind of like being that role model or like you don't sort of see yourself in the industry because there's no one representative of you um i think like definitely there's an increasing number of women but i think we still really struggle with like um people of color and people who are like uh out with their sexuality and that kind of thing it's really like stifled which was strange at first yeah, that's, it's weird because you think it's an art form, so you would think artists would be more diverse. So how do we start um, breaking that mold? I think it's a really interesting question. I recently actually did an interview about um, women in the music industry, and the term leaky pipeline is thrown around a lot. I don't know if that's something that you've heard of before, um, but basically it's this idea that um, there is... It, it applies to any any industry, any job, where basically you have a certain type of person falls 
out of the job because there's a leak in the pipeline so like it could be a person of color it could be a woman it could you know it could be any kind of thing and everyone seems to think that this this like leaky pipeline applies to the music industry because women get pushed out or like a variety of people not just women but for example like when women have uh children you can't be on tour if you're pregnant or you can't be on tour if you have a young family because you can't physically do the things that you have to do to do your job you can't lift you can't be in the air like rigging pa systems and stuff like that so people like to say that it's oh you know women are getting pushed out and you know there's not enough resources but on the flip side of that you have how many people are actually leaving because they want to and like there is this idea and i think it is true that women come into the industry and then there's this issue of kind of harassment and and maybe just not feeling comfortable um i know a lot of women who've had comments made at them and that kind of thing and it makes you uncomfortable and yeah i can totally see someone having that and being like i don't want to work in this industry anymore but also how many people are choosing to leave the industry in terms of like they realize that they'd rather do a different job or they realize that they'd rather have a family or um you know that they actually would just rather not be in that job anymore how many people change their careers in their 30s or 40s you know um i know it's it is really common so it's kind of striking that balance of being able to support people to stay in the job that they want and not forcing them to stay in a job that they don't want kind of thing so i think one of the massive things is there's a, a really big lack of unionization in the music industry um like i know this is different in america um but definitely in the uk there is no like support system really for um young creatives and there's no whistleblowing system and i've heard it time and time again from lots of different people who've said you know someone made a comment about my race or someone made a comment about my gender and i didn't know who to talk to and i didn't know what to say or you know someone's said something about my sexuality but i don't want to speak out about it because i don't want to lose my job and because it's an industry where everyone knows everyone else and you're always kind of scared that you might be offending someone if you talk badly of them um and there's kind of that worry of if i say this will i ever be employed again you know if i get a reputation for being you know a loud mouth or if i get a reputation for like causing a fuss over something will people then want to you know take me on tour or will people want to like work with me again and that culture is so wrong and there should be something in place and there are certain systems that are in place a, a charity that i work with a lot called women in live music are working really well on that front to kind of have something in place where women can kind of speak out about things that they face like issues that they face in the music industry but obviously that only helps women and what about you know as like young people or you know people of color or you know um people with different sexualities they can't get that support and that's something that really if we had unions in place over here we would actually be able to speak out about a lot more i think would be a really good step forward cool yeah so what i mean unions are a weird thing right so i mean how do how does that work in the uk 
Um, so, like, I, sorry, go on. Sorry. Uh, yeah, well, because we were talking a bit about it and you said that they were a bit weaker or there wasn't really a support system. So is there any other support system outside of that or is it really just that culture of you, you stay quiet and you'll get hired? Yeah, I mean, we, so the union system over here is we have um, a musician's union, which is for any, any musical performer. And then um, that also kind of covers music producers or sound designers um, and composers as well. And then we have, um, there are several different unions for like audio engineers, lighting engineers, like people who are kind of behind the scenes of the music industry. So, you know, stagehands, crew, that kind of thing. And that's called Beck2. And there's a couple of others, I'm sure, but I think Beck2 is, is the most widely known one. And um, basically those systems are supposed to be in place to help you speak out about things like this. But mostly what people use them for is um, for like pay disputes, um, it's also a way to get like discounted insurance, like um, every every crew member should have their own public liability insurance, that kind of thing. So that's what people use those unions for. But I don't see a lot of unions addressing issues like sexual harassment or racism um, or homophobia, because I think it's a bit of a taboo. And I still think the uh, music industry is run, not to offend anyone, but by rich white people and then yeah those issues because they never get brought up and because no one wants to talk about them because they are scared of losing their jobs or getting a bad reputation um it never gets addressed because you can't address a problem without confronting it and when no one wants to confront it it's very difficult and when those unions should be doing that but and i understand you know there are possibly you know looking at pay is possibly a more pressing issue i mean i think as well we have a bit of a culture of putting up with things that we shouldn't necessarily accept um and unless everyone speaks out about it then you know you're not going to get anywhere it's very you know you do need on an individual level you have to kind of do the whistleblowing but unless you all work together you're not really going to get very far so i think it's um yeah it's one of those things where you the union is there but i don't think it's working in the right way and i don't think it's organized the right way and maybe we need a bit more diversity in terms of like uh, managerial representation and people higher up the chain so uh, that's interesting so how can we start looking at that change how can we start uh, implementing yeah it's interesting because i i think there is a big thing as well at the moment um although it's it's mostly rooted in meme culture but there is this kind of thing about the generational divide and how how we are getting kind of more liberal um and a lot of people seem to think that we should just wait it out until kind of like the millennials are in charge um which does kind of solve an issue but doesn't help right now <laughs> um right. also there's kind of like we should all be speaking out when things go wrong um we should all you know on an individual level we should be calling things out and we should be standing up for each other um whether that's you know 
standing up for your fellow crew members or you know if there's a person on the team who is slightly more vulnerable that you know you stick up for each other and you protect people and there should be um you know systems in place for support when when people speak out so it's really classic that you know you might have a tour going on and someone who's in charge of the tour does something and it will be someone lower down a crew member or you know like a, a deputy who will say something and then everyone higher up on the chain of command kind of turns a blind eye and I get it I so get not wanting to rock the boat because when you're a freelancer and you don't know where your next paycheck's going to come from and you know you have rent and you know you have bills you know you don't want to risk losing that source of income but at the same time unless we all speak out nothing's going to change so i think it it even comes down to a bit of a like almost the kind of freelance issue as well because if we were more secure you know if we had more job security we would be more inclined to speak out about these things. It's a really multifaceted argument and it's one that I've had many times with many different people. And I think there isn't this like perfect answer, but until the right people are talking about it, you know, even if there's no perfect answer that solves everything, if we are talking about it and we're bringing this problem up and making it kind of like okay to speak about, I think that's where the change starts to come. Very cool. Yeah, um, I've always been, because it's interesting to hear that it's really prevalent in the music industry, because um, it seems to be prevalent in everything right now, um, like even especially in the theater industry where um, we have all these Broadway houses that are pretty much run by white Jewish people. Um, if you think about like the Schubert organization and um, Nederlander and James, and those are all, you know, they're going to start to include their own kind rather than branch out. So how can we start branching out into these other communities? Like, what do we need to be thinking about? See, I had a really interesting conversation with another audio engineer the other day, and he was saying that the music industry is founded in nepotism. And I really agree with that. And I think that is something that everything in the music industry is you get your jobs from your friends or through people you know, people you've worked with before. And there's almost this dismissal of people that you don't know. Um, you know, and I understand where this comes from because it's a trust thing of like, if you need someone to do your job for you, this is, there's, there's a saying with audio engineers that you get your first job when someone's ill and it will be that, and that comes from basically when, when you're ill and you call someone to replace you, you'd call a friend and then you kind of get your foot in the door and that's how you kind of, you know, I've had, I've had so many jobs where I've covered for someone who's sick got to know the manager and then they've asked me to go back and I get that because if you're asking someone to cover for you or help you or you're recommending someone you want to know that they're going to do a good job you don't want to just recommend a random person who you've never met before but then that causes an issue in that if you're only recommending people that you know chances are just based on probability they're probably you know similar to you you know 
if you're, you know, working in a community that is predominantly, you know, white male and all your friends are white male and you're only recommending your friends, then you get more and more white male sound engineers. Um, and the same thing with me, like I do it in a different way. I recommend female sound engineers, but like, that's not necessarily a good thing either. You know, the, the kind of goal of equality is that everybody has an equal shot and it should be based on your ability, not, you know, your gender. And I think I'm biased in the other way of like, I love having a female team. And sometimes, you know, I do pick my team based on gender because like I want to work with other girls where, you know, there might be a better male sound engineer, so it too. And I think it's like a, it goes both ways. And until we start not favoring people we know and working with, you know, giving people a chance, especially young sound engineers who are still learning, um, or like anyone in the music industry that goes for musicians or producers or anyone, it's kind of a circle of friends and start picking the and not just you know the person we know very yeah and i'd like to actually ask a question about that um when we you know when we recommend someone maybe who is is in our friend group but it maybe isn't a recommend like the best fit for the job but and we know someone else who's a really good fit what I mean, we want our friends to succeed, right? So if they don't have that experience, they're not going to become better. So how do we maybe balance it out to where we are giving people who don't have the experience the opportunities to get better while also um, lifting up and supporting the people who are already qualified and have the experience and the know-how? Yeah. This is honestly, I, as, as someone who is about to graduate and is looking for graduate positions acting on, this is kind of the bane of my life at the moment, because how do you give someone that opportunity when they don't have the experience, but how do you get the experience if you never get the opportunity? And it's like that catch 22 situation. And I feel like I don't know the answer. I try and i personally when i look at my business because i um own a, a freelance audio engineering business and i try and do as much outreach as possible within my own community so i take on a lot of shadows and i offer a lot of like um shadowing opportunities or i take on crew who are less experienced because i think the only way you can ever learn is by doing it you know, you could read every textbook on audio engineering or the music industry and you could still know, know absolutely nothing, <laughs> you know, until right. you actually get out there and touch a mixing desk or go to a gig, you're never going to get the full experience that you need to do the job properly. But then there's kind of that you have to kind of instill your knowledge and kind of train them up and this is why apprentice like cover that is kind of the way you do it you have to spend time getting to know someone on a 
personal level so that you trust them at the same time as you're working which sounds great but that takes a long time and you know especially when you um you know you get things like festival season and like tours which are really manic and I've done right first time because you don't have the time to mess around so if you're taking on someone who doesn't have the experience I totally see why that becomes very stressful very quickly because if you just need things doing properly you need someone who's got that experience who knows what they're doing so I don't know if I actually this is a very long-winded way of me saying I don't know if I know the answer to that I think it is kind of like that kind of taking someone under your wing and like helping them but then that comes back to the nepotism thing of then you're building up your relationship with someone and then when you recommend them you're recommending your friend again so I mean there's been this big boost in outreach stuff in the music industry um particularly um there is a company in Manchester called Brighter Sound music outreach and they basically try and get people into the music industry who maybe previously wouldn't have not necessarily made it but wouldn't have had the funds behind them or the experience and that kind of thing and I think that's a really good way forward and they do programs that are aimed at women that are aimed at people of color who are aimed at people um, or you know musicians who um, are really great at performance but don't, don't really know any compositional techniques or theory techniques and I feel like that outreach is moving things in the right direction even if it is kind of going slowly because um, there's not really enough funding for it but that's like a whole other issue um, but yeah I think it is just just like outreach and you know giving people and allowing them to build their own knowledge and taking a chance on people i cool. guess sorry is, there's a bit of the delay, delay. Do but you're independent label then or you're freelance yeah right. um so yeah basically when i was starting my degree i realized Basically, in the music industry, the only way that you can kind of work is as a freelancer. Um, there are um, salaried roles that you can go for, but generally that would be, um, they're very specific roles. So things like um, working for a PA company or um, a record label and things like that. And there aren't actually that many companies, um, there, there isn't really a place that you can go to employed you kind of have to make it on your own um so i decided to set up my own freelance business pretty early on um for like the first uh year i was just kind of like going on my Kelsey, I'm going to um, uh, reconnect you. I, I can't hear you. I'm sorry. Hi. That, 
I lost you and then I lost myself. So, yeah. <laughs> no worries. Um, <laughs> a bit wrong then. Oh. Sorry about that. Yeah, so you were talking about um, your label, uh, your freelance work and how there's not really companies for sound engineers. Yeah, so, um, you know, I feel like with a lot of, not necessarily graduates, but when you when you go to find a job after, you know, you finish school or you finish your degree or whatever, you would go to a company and apply for a job role, but that's not really a thing in audio engineering. There aren't companies, you know, that have um, loads of sound engineers or anything like that. So you have to become self-employed. Um, and that's like kind of a, a weird process. Like when I started out, I had absolutely no idea what I was doing at all. <laughs> and like, I remember filing my first tax return and be, I just had no idea what I was doing at all. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that's kind of how I started it and it just kind of grew from there. So I had, um, I started off originally just as an audio engineer, but then I find like there's we, something that's mentioned a lot in like the music industry is having a portfolio career. So like doing lots of different jobs just so you can always be employed. So like my main job is audio engineering, but, um, in kind of down seasons for that. I also do like stage management and tour management and um, I write music as well, like um, compose stuff and I also do sound design. So it's kind of just like that, that is my business, just kind of everything. Um, it's all just like what I do kind of, it's just a way for me to m make a living out of what I do. Um, but I really like it. It's really flexible. Like I'm in charge of, the jobs that I do like I only work with people that I you know love their work or um that I enjoy working with and yeah so it's like it's a really nice way to work really flexible well then I want to say thank you because I know you've worked on two projects of mine already um and are looking at possibly doing a third one um yeah so talk us about talk to us about the music creation project or process that you go through yeah so um when i write sound design usually it is sound design so it will be for um a visual media so um obviously as you know on your, your projects i worked on akira troy um and also um the new advertisements that you've been putting out um visual media um, so I will get. Oh no, I'm sorry. We're going to reconnect. Is that all right? Did that work? Yes, I think so. Kelsey, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Don't worry. Um, yeah. So I usually get like the visual, um, media first, um, whether that's like a video or um you know a script or something and then i kind of work from that um so with the uh when i worked on the cure at troy i read through the script and you had some notes as well that you'd given me of where you wanted audio um and i kind of did a lot of research on like the um themes of the play and like um you know to try and get that tone and that mood um and that was actually really interesting. I always love like getting a script and like being able to delve really deeply into it and like kind of get all the history behind it and the context. 
Um, so I tend to do that first and then I will start getting my ideas down. So when I do sound design, I work in Logic Pro. Um, and I basically use uh, a mixture of, I tend to map things out with like stock audio. Um, so just like the, they have like a library of different instruments. And then once I kind of get the general idea down, I start using synthesizers to kind of make my own instruments. It makes it a little bit more um, kind of, it's unique because, you know, it's my, my patches that I've made. Um, no one else has them. But also it allows me to really sculpt the sound to what I want. And, you know, you can physically change the way that something resonates or, you know, how harsh or how soft the sound is. So that's something I really enjoy is like, really getting in there and being able to manipulate the sound. Um, and I also use like um, samples as well. Like I record things. Um, so like the video that I did, uh, the advert video that we did recently, oh, yeah. audio for that, I, all the drums were like, so there was, um, if you haven't seen, for anyone who hasn't seen the video, um, there's like a coffee bean and it turns into like uh, flames. And then there's like a, coffee cup so i kind of ran with the that came from um like one of them was like a lighter being clicked and then some of it was like um struck um and like a burning match and that kind of thing so i like to play with audio as well as um kind of like the midi sounds um and i like to use found sound a lot as well i like to see what's in my environment and you know see if there's anything cool that can make like a weird sound or you know something that like you wouldn't expect to be used as an instrument can make something really interesting that's really cool yeah i i remember you were talking to me about the um the coffee one and you were telling me about how you use all the different um sound clips to make it sound like a coffee was actually being made and i was i was very impressed by that favorite parts of that actually is like I managed to find some audio of uh, uh, like a barista making uh, an espresso and he was like banging the um, the tamp and I used that as like part of the drums as well so like yeah, you can get cool. some and really then, sorry, cool um, effects uh, from like when you use uh, there's two kind of like two main kinds of sound um so you have audio which is like recorded you know if you had a microphone and someone was talking into it and then midi is basically like um it's i'm trying to think of a good way to explain this it's like it's not real um it's not like real audio um it's kind of like a synthesizer that you are sampling to make the sound. Um, so for example, like um, I use a, uh, it's called a MIDI keyboard and it basically looks like a little piano. And then when you press the keys of the piano, it generates a sound in the door or a door is a digital audio workstation. So that's like Logic or Pro Tools. So it generates the sound without there actually being a real instrument used at any point. Um, and it uses synthesized and sampled sounds that are, are kind of in the memory of the door. 
um, rather than having to record that instrument yourself. So it's something that's really popular. It actually started out um, when it was first made as just a way to be able to use an instrument in a song without having to record it. But now it's a really popular way to make noises that just don't exist in real life. Um, and especially like the crazy synthesizer sounds that you can hear a lot in kind of like pop music and um, in kind of like, you know, synth pop and kind of, you get it a lot in like, um, kind of like house music and um, kind of like club music where you've got those kind of like, uh, almost like keyboard effects, but they sound, they sound really interesting. Yeah, no, I, I really like that. Um, so then what other uh, plays have you been doing? Um, so I, I'm trying to think now off the top of my head, because I did a Cure at Troy with you. And then I did a couple other sound bites for another project that you were working on. I can't remember. That was like a long time ago. And then after that, I did um, a film. So it was, I don't think I've done actually any other stage plays, but I did work on a film. So I have, uh, it, that's coming out later this year. I wrote some music for that, um, which was really cool because I'd never worked on, on film before, like had zero experience of working on a film before. And um, I did it as a favor to a friend and I, I kind of got roped into it. And I was like, I don't really know what I'm doing, but sure. <laughs> and uh, it was great fun and I'm really excited. It's called uh, The Making of Alex. Um, and that's coming out later this year. I'm not quite sure when now, because I think originally it was supposed to be sort of now, but it's got pushed back with everything going on. Yeah. Yeah. It's unfortunate. Well, speaking of everything that's going on right now, um, what is it like to work in person versus, you know, transatlantic like we did? Yeah. I mean, I, depending on what you're doing, because like at the moment I'm not doing any live sound because firstly, because everything's been canceled, but also because you just can't do it from home. Um, but, but I found it quite interesting switching over to everything online because I already was very used to working online because of all the projects we've done. Um, so I was used to kind of like Skype calls and, um, you know, sending sessions back and forth. Um, but I think working in I'm going to have to stop you. I'm sorry. Can we reconnect one more time? All right. <laughs> I um, no, no worries. Um, yeah, I think like it's very different working in person, especially because when I do studio sessions normally, I can be in the room with someone and, you know, if you're uh, using microphones or instruments and stuff, you can physically move them to where you want. And I think expressing that knowledge to someone who doesn't know what you're talking about can be very difficult. So um, we have even little things like um, you have phasing issues between microphones, which basically just means that the audio doesn't record properly. And, you know, if I said to another audio engineer, oh, can you move that mic in phase? Or if I, you know, if I was in, in a studio with someone, I could just do it myself. But if you say to a musician who has no background in audio engineering, you know, oh, can you move that microphone out of phase? And then 
it's kind of it's just that extra step of explaining and like trying to talk someone through um doing something and it can be frustrating you know i think when you are used to just being able to do something yourself and then like all of a sudden you can't and i think that's where i get kind of annoyed because i'm like oh if if i did this myself it would take five seconds <laughs> and then <laughs> you explain it and you feel awful because it's like it's not anyone's fault but it's just and i think as well that coupled with the fact that i really miss going to work and i really miss like being in a studio or being in a venue so you're it's kind of this circle of like it's nice because i don't have to get up at like 9 a.m to go to the studio but also you know partly i miss it and partly it can just be very frustrating especially when you have you know i have so much technology that has to be working all at once and you can guarantee at least one thing will fail <laughs> every single time <laughs> Um, and then you're like, oh, hang on a minute, let me just restart my computer, or like, let me just do this, and then it just seems to take forever. Yeah, you know, I, I've definitely been on the broad end of that. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, so it seems like it's very expensive, and you need a lot of technology and software. Uh, can you talk about that? Yeah. Yeah, I hear. Um, I mean, baseline, um, you need a, a decent computer. Most sound engineers that I know have a Mac. I have a MacBook. Um, it was the single most expensive thing I've ever spent my money on. And I still am a bit sad that I had to spend that much money on it. Um, but yeah, you need you need a good computer and the software itself can run, depending on what software you use, anywhere from like £200 to kind of like five or £600. Um, and then once you have the software, you need things called plugins, which are basically how you manipulate the sound. So um, things like compressors or limiters or EQ, which is all different ways that you kind of um, add effects to the sound or, or, you know, correct the sound and manipulate it. And they can be very expensive. Um, I just spent like £200 on mastering software that, you know, is very expensive to get into. And that's just kind of like the baseline. And then you need audio interfaces to basically make your computer speak to your microphones. And then microphones themselves are really expensive too. Um, the the cheapest ones that you know the cheapest are about 100 to 200 pounds so you kind of have to really invest in what you're doing um it's really expensive and even if you don't buy the equipment yourself and you use uh someone else's studio studio hire is really expensive so it kind of is just like i constantly feel like i'm throwing money um away basically <laughs> i spend all my money on audio technology but it is part of my job so at least it comes off my tax return i suppose that's good yeah but um, yeah it's an expensive hobby or career but uh yeah it's worth it but i i want to say that all of your stuff that i've heard has been very professional sounding and the quality is just very good so um i mean what else? I mean, you've done. I, I'm not. Is it producing 
a record for the Himalayan Bowl Party? Yeah, um, I produced and recorded and mixed their album, which was really cool. That was such a cool experience because I'm such good friends with all of those guys. And um, to kind of spend so long in a studio with like people that you love is really cool. Like highly recommend working with people that you love to be around. Um, but yeah, like that was such an experience because we did the whole thing was just me. And there was um, another engineer called Laurie, who is super cool. Um, and he mastered the album as well. So, um, but apart from his work on mastering and he mixed one of the tracks, everything else was done by me, um, which was an experience. Like I have heard every song on the album about 200 times. Um, so yeah, it's, um, it was definitely an experience, but I wouldn't have away because it's so nice to watch something grow. Um, and it started, you know, completely from scratch with a couple of demos that I'm all the way to like this fully produced album. And, um, it's really good. Like I highly recommend listening to it. Like I am biased because I had such a big part in making it, but, um, they are really tough guys and definitely worth having to listen to well it's yeah no and i i love the album it's about it's among my top albums in 2019 so uh, yeah um thank you again for mixing that <laughs> um anything is there anything else that you want to say before we sign off um, i mean i just want to say thank you for having me and uh for I know, the answer's all mine. Interesting questions. Um, it's been really cool to chat, and like, I'm really. <laughs> Absolutely, and I was I, I was surprised that so many people signed on. I was very happy with the results. So, <laughs> thank you again. Um, we couldn't do thank this you. without you. As well. All right, Kelsey Brooks again. <laughs> um, she has done audio mixing for Himalayan Pool Party, Case Open. She did the sound design for my play, which is airing later today at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, which is 4 p.m. Mountain Standard Time or Pacific Time. Uh, 